from the far reaches of the skies above to the depths of the ocean in this part of the universe. I think the discussions we've had today look like they are, you know, here and there, wide, widely divergent, and yet they're not. They're not. It all comes together with answering some of the really big questions about who we are and where we've come from, and maybe most importantly, where are we going? And even more important, how are we going to get wherever that is? A lot of this discussions, not just today, but throughout this, this summit, have had to do with issues relating to conflicts among ourselves, war, if you will. Well, I want to really focus on the other war that we're having with the natural systems that keep us alive. It's kind of sneaking up on us because until right about now, we have taken the natural world very much for granted. I mean, we, uh, we breathe, what is air? Where did it come from? Um, water magically falls out of the sky. Throughout all of our history, we have succeeded because We've used the natural world. We've cut the trees. We've killed the animals that we eat. We, we, whatever it is that we're taking from the natural world. Go back to 10,000 years ago when civilization first really began to prosper. Our numbers were in the little m millions. It took until 1800, fast forward, 10,000 years to reach a billion people. When I arrived in the 1930s, there were about 2 billion people. So from that point to the present time, there's been more change in the nature of the natural world that keeps us alive than during all preceding history. It's a staggering thought to think that humans can have such an impact on the very basic elements that we have been able to take for granted when our numbers were small and our ability to transform the atmosphere above, the waters, the fabric of life itself, really was fairly limited. Even then, as <laughs> Ed Wilson, the ant man, the big thinker from Harvard, said that we had a way during our history of eating, eating, consuming the large, the slow, and the tasty animals that surrounded us. And the evidence is here in North America, where if you go back even 5,000 years ago, there were many more large and slow and tasty animals that are now completely gone. We've eradicated them. And we're still doing that, but not just to the large and the slow and the tasty. We're doing it to creatures that are small, <laughs> tunas are very fast, and some things that we are eliminating don't taste very good if taste is a, a factor, but we use them as commodities, taking from the natural systems, that when it comes right down to it, you could characterize the natural world, the living systems, it's our life support system. Starts with water. Gotta have water. <laughs> All life, as far as we know, life as we know it at least, requires water. There may be and there certainly is water without life. 
No life without water. 97% of Earth's water is ocean. The remaining 3% is mostly frozen in polar ice. Of that 3%, only about 3% is available to us. Our lakes, our rivers, our streams, the rain that comes out of the clouds. It's amazing how much we have taken these natural benefits for granted. We don't value nature properly. We just don't. We, we, we take it for granted. Well, I say we. We have. And I think not just since the 1930s, more since the middle of the 20th century, literally the last 50 years, we have learned more about our place in the universe, our place within the natural systems than during all preceding history. And the pace of learning, that pace of knowing who we are, where we've come from, and where we might be going is accelerating as maybe the universe itself. Expansion is accelerating, so is our knowledge. But at the same time that we have learned more, we have lost more. And for me, as an oceanographer, as someone who's been privileged to spend thousands of hours under the sea, I've been to the average depth of the ocean, which is two and a half miles. I haven't been to the deepest place, which is 11 kilometers. It's, you know, seven miles down. Millions of people have been seven miles up, but only three people have made it to the deepest part of the ocean in the Mariana Trench and returned. <laughs> One-way trips are really easy. Uh, <laughs> but in the time that I have spent as a witness to what's happening to this planet, especially the ocean that is a cornerstone of our life support system because that's where the water is. The ocean absorbs and holds heat a thousand times more than the atmosphere above. The ocean is the planet's thermoregulator, governs climate, weather, home for most of life on Earth because that's where the water is. All life requires water. Where's the water? Where's life? It isn't on the land. We are terrestrial, so we have this bias about where the action is and what really matters. But aliens coming from somewhere else, wanting to explore the Earth, they'd probably jump in the ocean first because that's where the greatest diversity of life is. It's where most of life on Earth actually is. It's where most of the oxygen comes from. I mean, trees, yes, grass, yes ferns, all the green stuff on the land, but the ocean. Prochlorococcus, a bacterium that we just discovered in the mid-1980s, didn't even know it existed, is responsible for generating 20% of the oxygen in the atmosphere. Who knew? One in every five breaths you take, generated by a creature so small that it took a special technique during, and quite by chance, looking for something else and stumbled on Prochlorococcus. Huh, I mean, how many of you have heard of Prochlorococcus? Yay, woohoo! <laughs> Kids will be putting on their t-shirts and we should be singing, our praise, singing the praises of this little guy. But here's the thing. Just as we're at the point of really understanding something about how the world functions, we are waging war on the natural world. Look at what we've lost just in the last half century. 
90% of many of the fish in the ocean already extracted. And along with it, using techniques so destructive that the possibility that they could recover greatly diminished. 50 years ago, the concept of a dead zone in the ocean didn't exist. There may be some troubled areas. Pollution was not just invented 50 years ago. But now, there are more than 500 coastal areas around the world, not just in the Gulf of Mexico, not just along certain areas of the California coast, but around the world, globally, mostly associated with where human population allows pollutants and things such as nitrates and phosphates from fields, farms, mostly agricultural, but not entirely, toxins that flow into the sea, altering the nature of nature. We now have the power, as never before, to do that. But I consider this, all things considered, to be the sweet spot in time, a term that engineers know about. You know, you work and work and work to try to get to a point and then suddenly things work. You see things that you didn't see before. If you go much further, you know, you go too far and you've lost the chance somehow. And right now, maybe this decade, maybe the most important 10 years in the next 10,000 years, because we still have a chance to get it right in terms of our relationship to the natural world. Early in the 20th century, Theodore Roosevelt was among the leaders who decided that we needed to embrace the systems that were really special, mainly for recreation, landscapes, and home for some of the big creatures that Roosevelt and others really treasured, prized for one reason or another, especially looking at big mammals and birds. Well, now we have, not just in this country, Ken Burns says, the best idea America ever had, national parks, and it caught on around the world, about 14% of the land around the world now has some form of protection of the natural systems, watersheds, wildlife, places where birds can nest, flyways also protected. You know, we're beginning to understand, not just because they're beautiful and aesthetically pleasing, but also because we see other values. We see we need to protect insects, bees, and other pollinators because they serve us well. They keep the planet steady in so many ways that until right about now, we could perhaps take these things for granted. But the ocean, you know, the land you can see when a forest is leveled, clear-cutting the land, the ocean of today looks probably pretty much the way it did a thousand years ago from the surface. But under the surface, a lot has changed. Plankton, those little guys, Microbes, bacteria, but also other organisms that are photosynthetic in the sea. Some say that the measure of phytoplankton has decreased in the last 50 years by maybe as much as 40%. Maybe it's not 40%, maybe it's only 10%, but whatever it is, there's a downward trend in terms of the oxygen-generating, carbon-capturing organisms that hold the planet steady. 